this as little moving around as possible. And let's let's really get a lot out of this because I feel it's it's so prophetic for River of Life. So, Lord, I just thank you for coming upon me and speaking through me. Everything that needs to be spoken is so important tonight. Lord, I thank you for your precious Holy Spirit moving upon, Lord, all those that are going to be hearing this, that there's an anointing. And, Lord, even where people are at that are hearing this, whether it's a recording or they're watching it live, that your Holy Spirit just move upon every one of us and help us, Lord, to get locked in and focused to give you our best ear, our full attention. We're not distracted. But by the Holy Spirit, we're just in tune with what God is saying to us. And, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear, maybe what we couldn't before, that we'll have good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives. Lord, I thank you for speaking through me your living seeds of truth, like the parable of the seed and the sower that goes out into good soil that's prepared by the Holy Spirit, then watered by the Holy Spirit. That that seed will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. And, Lord, it will go forth and accomplish everything you sent it forth to do. Let the winds of your spirit carry this out, that it will go forth. And we stand on the promise that it, your word will not return void, but accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. But we also know the enemy tries to steal the seed. So, Lord, we submit this unto you and we resist the devil. We bind up anything that would try to hinder, distract, resist, oppress this word in any way from getting where it's supposed to be and accomplishing what it's supposed to be what it's supposed to do. We command that to be bound right now in Jesus' name and back off. And Lord, I thank you for your mighty angels just clearing away any hindrances. And we thank you for everything being accomplished through this time that your will to be done. Let your word get in us, Lord. Let it produce faith in us. In Jesus' name, I believe you tonight for faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm looking tonight. This is a continuation. Now, we, did, we had a sermon, It's Time, for River of Life that was like a prophetic message just for our church. So I did not send that out publicly. So those outside of River of Life, do, you haven't heard this. So this is part two to that. But I'm sending this out to um, the greater public because the content in it will be a blessing, I think, to the greater body of Christ because I'm dealing with angels, I'm dealing with spiritual warfare, etc. So let me uh, open with this. I think as far as River of Life goes, I probably don't have to say some things, but I'm going to because this is going out to the greater public. So we're dealing with the subject tonight of angels. All right, so we know this, but let me just remind everybody, do not get focused on angels. Let's stay focused on Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, they are just simply there to enforce God's kingdom. And they're all through the scriptures. We do need to have sermons about it and talk about it. couple things. We know this. I know you know this. But it's unscriptural to focus too much on angels. It's unscriptural to um, pray to angels or to worship angels. We don't need to do any of that. Our prayers are to the Lord. Our worship is to the Lord, okay? Um. Angels are created beings. Um, they're definitely, I know that you know this, but just for people that the only thing they know about angels is maybe what they saw on TV or something. Angels are not human beings, okay? They're, they're created beings, and they're not those um, chubby babies with wings. That's, it's not them, okay? Angels are big, strong, massive, masculine beings that enforce God's purposes in the earth. A couple quick things about angels, just quickly, because it's not really in my sermon to talk about these things, but I wanted to say this up front. 
Satan tries to come. He's a fallen angelic being, specifically in the order of a cherubim in the Bible. But the Bible says Satan tries to come as an angel of light. Okay, so we know that his fallen angels, his demonic beings, will try to come and look like an angel of light. So we need to have discernment and test the spirits, okay? And the Bible also says that even Satan's ministers, and it says those words, will try to come like ministers of light or ministers of righteousness. So there's counterfeit things out there. Uh, We need to test everything, make sure it's truly of the Lord, And in the Bible, there's nowhere that would indicate that angels are male and female. Let me explain this. So when God, the Bible calls angels sons of God, not the way that that Christians are, but in the respect that they were created directly by God. You see what I'm saying? There's no such thing as a male and a female angel that get married and have baby angels. It doesn't happen, okay? (laughs) Okay. Angels are created, created by, people think these things. Listen, angels are created directly by God, okay? Poof, there they are, big, strong, masculine. So there's, there's nowhere in the Bible that would lead me to believe that there's even female angels because God created, he didn't create the male and female to procreate. He just created angels to be his enforcers. They're his muscle. They're, they're the ones that's gonna carry out heaven's purposes, Okay? So um, I know that there's a, a scripture, one place in the Bible, in, I believe in Zechariah, where there was this female in a basket, and I believe it's a Jezebel spirit, specifically the whore of Babylon, and there was these stork-like beings that picked that thing up and took it to the land of Shinar, which is Babylon, and I believe that has to do with an end-time whore of Babylon being delivered to Babylon by some beings that I do not believe are angels of God in that context, Okay. And they came across this female. So Satan has his fallen angels and his demons that, that when they pierce through in the natural realm, they can appear as all kinds of strange things. But God's angels are masculine and strong and powerful. And I'm going to tell you about angels. They're, um, they're, like I said, they're not human, so they don't think the way we think per se. Okay, they're, they're on assignment, okay? They're not all overly lovey-dovey, and they're not mean. They're just doing what God said do. Does that make sense? They're there to do what God wants done, the way God wants it done. And um, I'm going to teach a little bit about them tonight. I think you'll learn some things. But I don't, I don't focus on them. I don't talk a whole lot about angels. In fact, I've only preached a couple sermons like this because it's important that people know what the Bible says about angels, okay? So in regards to river of life, I believe that God is going to send some of his reinforcements for us. That's why I'm talking about this, that are going to begin to bring breakthroughs in areas that we've been praying about. All right, so um, trying to think if there's anything else to say about angels, but as I go, I think that you'll learn, and I'll, the Holy Spirit will help me. So the first thing I want to talk about is Hebrews 1.14, and I think that I'm going to show you something here that maybe you've never seen before, at least not the way that we're going to look at it. 
Also in the book of Hebrews, did you know the Bible says that we can entertain angels unaware? Did you know that? So God's angels, when, they, when, you, when somebody sees them maybe in a vision or they, they come through into the natural realm, they could appear as maybe an old man or appear to us the way we perceive them as like a little girl or something like that, but that's not really their real form. That's just the way that they're being seen by us, you see. They're supernatural beings. So we can entertain angels unaware, but Derek Prince brought something out I'd never really thought about before, and he said that that doesn't mean that you can entertain angels unaware doesn't mean it's just good angels. I never thought about that. So he said you need to test the spirits because also when it says you can entertain angels unaware, just keep in mind, he said, that there are also evil angels in the earth, you see. And that's, that's very important, I believe. So anyway, um, Hebrews 1.14, it says, are they, speaking of angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to provide service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? That's obviously us. Now, let me say this because I want to read this in context. Whenever the book of Hebrews was written, just like any other book of the Bible, it was a scroll and there were no chapters and verses. So keep that in mind because Man put chapters and verses for a very good reason, and it was a good thing, so we can find stuff. How many grateful we have chapters and verses? Okay, yeah. It's a good thing, but just keep in mind that that doesn't, sometimes those mental breaks that we do are not actually there. So Hebrews 1.14 is a continual thought that goes straight into 2.1 all the way through. It's a continual thought. So the chapter and verse was not there when it's written, okay? So I'm going to read it in one flow and then show you something. It says, are, are they, angels, not all ministering spirits, sent out to provide service for the sake of those who inherit salvation? For this reason, we must pay close attention to what we have heard, talking about the Word of God, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the Word spoken through angels proved unalterable, meaning that God's Word is established, and every violation of that word, okay, every act of disobedience received just punishment. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This is in context to angels and their activity in regards to God's word. So let me show you this. So um, let me explain salvation. We understand what it means to be saved. But there's a lot of people that have never really been taught what I'm about to tell you. Number one, we understand the most basic aspect of salvation, that we are sinners that need a Savior. So we're willing to look to Jesus to the cross in faith for our sins to be forgiven, that he took them on the cross. He bore it in his body. He was pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. The punishment that brought peace with God was on him. We look to the cross, and through faith, we receive the forgiveness of sins. We're washed from it, and there is a new birth. The Holy Spirit is given to us uh, as a deposit, as a seal, and that's God's gift. 
but the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, and we're born again, okay? And the Holy Spirit will change who we are. We begin to hunger after the things of God, and we begin to be convicted and turn away from evil things, okay? That's a new birth. But what you have to understand is, is that salvation is more than just the forgiveness of sin. That's the main thing and the most important thing. But when Jesus died on the cross, he died not just for sin to be forgiven. And there's dimensions to that that I can't get into, but there's a difference between sin and transgression and iniquity, okay? Iniquity is a deep thing that has to be pulled out of us. But anyway, there's dimensions there, but Jesus also paid for our um, healing, didn't he? He took stripes on his back, Blood came out of his back, and it was payment for our healing. How many of you guys have been ever healed from something? I have. Well, many, many of you have. That was pay, it was paid for by Jesus' stripes on his back. The blood that shed from his back was payment for your healing. Also, Jesus paid for our deliverance. He hung on the cross, and the Bible says as he hung there, he became a curse for us. Cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree, and, and he redeemed us from the curses under the law. What that means is, is that Jesus paid for us to be delivered from the devil's kingdom, his works, evil spirits, etc. It was paid for. And so as Jesus hung there, becoming a curse for us, blood dripped from his body, and he paid for us to be set free. And so also Jesus died nude and impoverished, and the crown of thorns caused him to bleed on his brow, and he broke the curse of poverty. And Adam, when he sinned, the Bible said, God told Adam, by the sweat of your brow, by toil, you will eat. And Jesus took blood shed from the sweat of his brow that we could have provision. How many of you guys have ever needed God to provide because you were in a situation where you needed finances? And you really prayed, and God brought in money to you that you needed. You see, that's, that was paid for at Calvary. So what you got to understand is when Jesus died on the cross, he did not die for just our forgiveness. He died for us to be able to be healed, to be able to be delivered, to be provided for. Now, let me explain just a couple more things because this is important. So the Hebrew word for um, saved would be Yasha in the Hebrew. It's from that root word that we get Jesus's name, Yeshua in Hebrew, which means salvation. What does that word Yasha mean? It means this, this is important. Save, heal, deliver, protect, preserve, prosper, make to do well, make whole. All those things were in the word Yasha. So when Jesus came to die on the cross, that word salvation there encompasses everything that he paid for us to have. How many of you guys have honestly felt that there was a time in your life where God spared you from something where you could have been seriously injured and possibly killed, but God protected you, supernaturally protected you? I can say yes. You see, that's part of the salvation. Save, heal, deliver, protect, preserve you, prosper you make you do well, make you whole. All of that is wrapped up in what Jesus paid for. Now, there's a Greek counterpart to that. In the Greek, the word for save is sozo, S-O-Z-O, 
And it means the same exact thing. It's the word that we get saved from in the Greek. And it means save, heal, deliver, protect, preserve, pause, make, do, well, make, whole. All of that is the same thing. So what I'm getting at is this. The angels are sent as ministering spirits to minister unto us as heirs of salvation. What? that they will enforce what Jesus paid for us to have on the cross. You see, provision is made. And we know that according to the word of God, that we are the heirs of salvation. Now, something else that's so awesome in this is that when Jesus hung on that cross, he was, the Bible says in Galatians 3.13, let me read it, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us. So when you disobeyed the law, which we all have, the Bible says we've all fallen short of the glory, we've all sinned. But when you disobeyed the law, if you read Deuteronomy like 27, 26, 27, 28, Leviticus, there's places that you can see that there was like judgments that would come through disobedience to the word. And it went through all these, but Derek Prince broke them down into nine categories. I don't have it in front of me, but humiliation, barrenness, defeat, failure, sickness, poverty, um, mental illnesses, all these negative things that were consequences to disobeying the Bible. And the Bible says when Jesus hung on that cross and blood was dripping from his body, he became a curse for us and he delivered us from all those consequences. And it goes on to say, in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessings given to Abraham come on us. Now, listen, this is so important what I'm saying tonight because you got to understand, I, I can't dwell too long on this, but all right, when Jesus died for us, he brought us into the family of God. Those of us that are born again, you understand that this goes all the way back to the covenant that was cut with Abraham. When God told Abraham to get those animals and cut them in half, and he was going to walk among the pieces, and God appeared to him, and God said to him, I will make your seed like the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. And he made a promise to him. And God, made a, God cut covenant with Abraham. And the Bible makes it so clear that in Christ Jesus, that we are also brought into that covenant and the blessings that God gave to Abraham. In other words, you and I are of the seed of Abraham. The oath and the promise that was given to Abraham is your inheritance. That means, according to the scriptures, that God will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. That means that God will be an enemy to your enemies and that the blessings that were given to Abraham come on us. So here's what that means. When Jesus hung there and died, he paid for all those negative consequences to go away and the blessings given to Abraham to come upon us. So if you read Deuteronomy 28, etc., Derek Prince broke down categories, seven categories of blessings. Here's what you and I now are supposed to have as the seed of Abraham. You realize that you women, you're daughters of Abraham in Christ, right? You realize that. You men, you're sons of Abraham. You're of the seed of Abraham. The promise that God made to Abraham is your inheritance. It comes upon you. So what are those seven categories? Well, number one, exaltation and promotion. Exaltation and promotion. 
that you would be the head, not the tail, the top, not the bottom. Isn't that awesome? And so there's that. The second is healing and health and long life. The Bible says that if we worship God alone, he will bless our food and drink, remove sickness out of our midst. None will be barren, no miscarrying the land. The number of our days will be in full upon the earth. We, in fact, it says we will go to the grave full of years and full of vigor as sheaves gathered in season. So there's many other scriptures about this, but the categories, the third category was prosperity. Just like Jesus paid for it by the blood on his brow, he broke the power of poverty that we can prosper. We can have more than enough. God doesn't want us just not having anything in life. It doesn't bring him glory. Not to mention, how can you be a blessing to anybody if you can't even make your ends meet? God wants us to be able to prosper. Why? Not so that we can heap it on our own lust, but so that we can be a blessing to the kingdom of God and to other people. All right, and then also the fourth category is abundance in life having abundance. All right, the next one is reproductiveness. Reproductiveness and fruitfulness means that you're fruitful in every aspect of life. Yes, as far as pregnancies, childbearing, that's part of it, but it's being fruitful in every area of life. And then the next category is favor with God and man. The Bible promises us favors around the righteous like a shield. So God wants us to have favor. And then the seventh category is victory over our enemies. So God wants us to be able to walk in these blessings given to Abraham, exaltation, promotion, healing, health, long life, reproductiveness, fruitfulness, prosperity, abundance, favor with God, favor with man, and victory over every enemy. He wants us to walk in this. And Jesus paid a very dear price, mind you, hanging nude on a cross, beaten to where he was unrecognizable. He hung there, becoming a curse, blood dripping from him so that we could move out of those old curses and move into blessings. But here's what I'm going to say to you in this. If you read this in context in Hebrews, this is our covenant. We are a people of blood covenant. In America, people do not understand covenant because it's not in our culture. In this culture, they understood covenant. When two families were going to come into a blood covenant, they would take an animal, cut it in half, separate it, blood was there, and they would walk like a figure eight between there in the blood, and they would make a covenant. And it was extremely serious. They were, and they would exchange gifts, and they would exchange vows between them. And they knew what they were doing. When they came into covenant, they were basically saying, I will die for you. My family is your family. Your family is my family. If an enemy comes against your family, my entire family will strap the sword and we will fight to the death if necessary to defend your family. It was serious and it was lifelong. And so when God had Abraham cut those animals and he walked among them in the bloody soil and God appeared and walked in like a torch in there, you know, and God met with him and cut covenant with Abraham, Abraham understood that because he understood covenants. And what you and I need to understand is this, that through Calvary, the blood of Jesus, we are a people of blood covenant. 
God has brought us into the most solemn, most serious thing that you can possibly enter into with God is entering into a blood covenant. And God and his angels take that blood covenant dead serious. And God promised that he would be an enemy to our enemies. Now, here's the thing. How many knows that the devil is not just going to roll over for that? The devil tries to resist us. In this, if you read this in context, the Bible talks about God sends his angels to minister for us as heirs of salvation. Why? To enforce God's word in our lives. And this is interesting in context. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? I wonder in context if this couldn't be read this way. There's sometimes going to be such severe warfare. The enemy is going to come against people so severely. But because, listen to what I'm saying, because you are of the seed of Abraham and because you're in a blood covenant with God Almighty and because God's word has promised you these things, God will make a way of deliverance for you by sending his angels to deliver you in the most dire situations. You should have died, but the angel came and delivered you. How can we escape sometimes? It's going to be so severe if we neglect such a great salvation. The salvation is everything Jesus paid for on the cross, and it's enforced by his angels. Does this make sense tonight? I believe there's times that warfare is so severe. I had a friend of mine I was talking to on the phone, true story, and it didn't even happen long ago, a couple months ago. And he had had something happen to him where he had a severe heart attack. And he was in the hospital, and he was in a coma. And they had basically, the doctors had given him up for dead. And this really, really just freaked out the staff and the doctors and everybody because all of a sudden one night, this bright light appeared in his room. And it scared the staff. This is a true story. He's telling me about it. They, when he came out of the coma, the staff were there like, let me tell you what happened. And they, they were just amazed. And this bright light came into his room, and next thing you know, he's making a recovery and getting out of the hospital. You know what I believe that was? God sent his angel to deliver him from the grips of death. It wasn't his time. There's going to be times that things are so severe. Here we are living in the last days, perilous times. I mean, the Bible even talks about eventually that even the fallen angels and Satan will be cast to the earth. And whoa, whoa, whoa. You remember that? To the nations because the, Satan's coming down to you. There's going to be severe, perilous times, difficulties and all that. How can we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? but we're not going to neglect it. We understand our salvation. We understand what was paid for. We're a people of blood covenant, and we have rights and privileges, if you will, that are connected to that covenant, and the angels will come, and they will enforce that. And in Psalms 103, verse 20, it says, Bless the Lord, you his angels, that are mighty in strength, that fulfill his word listening unto the voice of the Lord. So if I had, um, I'm reading out of a tablet tonight, but if I had the word, a Bible in my hand right now, I just picture this as a Bible. And I put the Bible on a microphone. 
nothing's happening. See, the word of God has got to be in your vocal cords. And so the, the Bible says that they, the angels come to fulfill his word. And I'm going to give you another scripture here in just a moment. But the Bible says that the angels hearken to the word of the Lord. See, I'll tell you something about the angels. They're not, as I said earlier, they're not all lovey-dovey and all that. And they're, they're not mean either. They're just simply doing what they're supposed to do on God's assignment. But I'm going to tell you, they are there to fulfill God's will. They're there to fulfill God's purposes. And they're there to enforce God's word. So when God's word is in your mouth, you're vocalizing the word, the angels are hearkening to the word of God, not your opinion, but they're listening to the word of God being spoken and they go fulfill God's word. Does that make sense tonight? And so we need to be vocalizing God's word. I believe there's so much more available to us as a people of blood covenant with God Almighty of the seed of Abraham, the blessings given to Abraham, that's our inheritance. There's so much more available. And sometimes the enemy is so resisting. But you know what? We're not going to neglect that salvation. We know who we are. We know what's available. And we're going to declare the word of God, and God will send his angels to deliver us. And I'll tell you something there. It says if you neglect such a great salvation, well, one of those uh, meanings for that word is deliverance. We're not going to neglect God's deliverance because he will send his angels and deliver us. It was a, a story, it's kind of funny, during the Toronto Revival. This guy was there worshiping in the, the Toronto. had such an open heaven. Such a glory was there. I, I went in, uh, when did we go, 2014, I think? And it was the 20th anniversary. We went there for a conference, amazing, open heaven. As soon as I walked in, you just felt the nearness of God. But this guy was telling a story back in the 90s when the revival was just really at a height. He was there worshiping, and he just had a vision. How many know sometimes God just lets us see things? And he had this vision, and there was this huge angel right there, and it scared him. And he didn't know what to say. It kind of, when he was telling the story, it kind of reminded me of when Peter saw Jesus and Elijah, and Moses, and he didn't know what to say. We said, Lord, let us build a booth for each of you. You know, <laughs> They were probably just looking at him, just smiling like, okay, Peter, just calm down. But this guy didn't know what to say. And um, anyway, he was trying to, he just asked a question. And the, he said the angel was absolutely not interested in him whatsoever. And was somewhat, seemed kind of perturbed, like, why are you talking to me? Like that, as he said that the angel seemed that way because he was shocked and he asked a question. And the angel, you could tell, he said, you could tell the angel was there on assignment. I'm telling you, they're there to fulfill God's purposes. And they were there to make sure that the heavens were open, the devil was pushed back, and that people were going to get saved and healed. That's what they were there for. But he had asked some question, and the angel just simply said this, that, that I'm an angel of God's presence here. And then that was the end of the vision. And I remember he was telling that story, and John Arnott made the statement. He said, you know, we couldn't, he basically, John was saying along these lines, we wouldn't have been able to, do, to see what we saw without help. God had to send his angels to help these things happen, you see. 
All right. Wow. There's so many angel stories. I don't even know where to begin. Y'all remember Brother Benny telling that story? There was a minister that had had a, a stroke or something, and he was a, a dear friend of Brother Benny's. And this minister knew that God was going to heal him. But he was, because of the stroke or whatever had happened to him, I don't remember the real specifics, but because of it, he, his arm wasn't working right, and he would kind of have to tuck his hand into his pocket like this, and he would preach. And sometimes he would even have to wipe his nose or whatever because there was a little bit of bleeding, stuff like that. And he just knew God was going to heal him. And one night when he was preaching, true story, he's up there preaching on the platform at this church, and all of a sudden, something walked in the back. And he said that as you couldn't see it with your natural eyes, but as it was approaching him, he said people on the left and right were just falling out under the power like this. And it was coming toward him. And next thing you know, he said he felt something hit him in the chest. He was thrown in the air, landed on his back. And when he managed to get up, he was healed. And here's not, that's not the end. When he went back to his hotel room that night, he was taking off his shirt to brush his teeth and get ready for bed. And he said that there was a, a handprint on his chest that was bigger than a normal man's hand that was still there, like kind of red, where that thing smacked him. See, the, let me tell you, the, I'm telling you, the angels are not real lovey-dovey, and they're not mean either. They're just there to do what God wants them to do, amen? So that angel was sent there to come in and just smack him one with healing, and he was healed, amen? All right, I need to just go through these stories real quick. I do not have time to read these stories. I'm just going to tell them and share a few things really quickly. Um, all right, here we go. Here's 15 quick stories. Number one, when Jesus was tempted by the devil, those three times, and he went through the highest level of spiritual warfare that you can go through. In Matthew 4, verse 11, the Bible says Satan left him, and then angels came to minister unto Jesus. How many knows if Jesus needed angelic ministry, I would venture to guess that you and I need angelic ministry. And so they came to minister unto him. Number two, angels were sent in Zechariah 3, 1 through 5. I'm going to just tell the story real quickly, but this was during the time of, of Israel being released out of Persia, out of captivity. And they were building the second temple, the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel was the, the leader. But the high priest's name was Joshua. And Zechariah was the prophet of that time. And Zechariah had this open vision he wrote about in his book, Zechariah 3, 1 through 5. And Zechariah in this open vision saw Joshua, the high priest, standing there. Now understand, they hadn't had offerings all these years. So as Joshua couldn't go to the temple to offer up a sin offering and be cleansed of his sin because it wasn't available, okay? He was in captivity. So here Joshua, the high priest, is standing, and his garments are all dirty. And so the devil was accusing him, and Zechariah is in this vision, and the angel of the Lord rebuked Satan, and the angel said, the Lord rebuked you, Satan. Is he not a brand plucked from the fire? And Zechariah shouted out and said, Take those dirty garments off of him. 
And the angel reached over and removed the filthy garments and clothed them in pure garments. So angels do not forgive sin, but angels do help to cleanse our lives. How many knows that when Lazarus got raised from the dead, he still needed his grave clothes taken off? We can be saved and our sins forgiven, but sometimes we still need some dirty garments pulled off of us. And the angels of the Lord can help to sanctify your life and help to pull that pollution off you. Number three, angels are sent from earnest prayer. Acts chapter 12, 1 through 19. Peter, as I mentioned earlier before this sermon, Peter was in prison. This was very serious. The, the apostle, we all remember Peter, James, and John, the three that stuck out in, through Jesus' ministry. Well, James had been captured and beheaded. And so now Herod saw that it pleased the Jews, so he, he captures Peter, and he's going to execute him. So the church is thinking, man, we don't need to lose our leaders. So the church began to gather in a home, and they began to earnestly cry out to God, deliver Peter. We don't need to lose our leaders, Lord. We need, we need these apostles. They begin to cry out to the Lord, and God heard their prayers, and God sent an angel and that angel, I don't have time to read the stories. I'm just going to go quickly through. But that angel, all of a sudden, Peter is in prison. And how many knows that Roman prisons were pretty nasty and they were, they were pretty severe? He is literally in chains on his wrist, chained to a guard on each side in a prison cell. And there were other guards that were there. And I'm going to tell you just from knowing a little bit about these things that those guards that were outside the cell were supposed to be awake. Keep him watch. And so the angel goes in there, and next thing you know, and again, they're not all lovey-dovey. They come in, and he just kind of kicks Peter on the side. Get up, boy. Let's go. And Peter thinks it's a vision. He doesn't even really know what's going on, but as soon as he began to get up, the chains fall off of him. So the angel didn't get down there with a key. The angel had some kind of a power that just his word saying, get up, boy, the chains fall off. Peter gets up, and the angel's walking with him, and I know because of these things that those guards are supposed to be awake. He walks right past guards that are awake that never saw him. So the angel had some kind of an ability to make him invisible. And I don't have, this isn't in here, but you remember how Shabrat, Meshach, and Abednego, which my little brother thought it was Shabrat, Meshach, and a billy goat when we were kids. So he thought it was two people and a goat that were in the fire. That's just kind of funny, but anyway. But it was three guys, okay? And there was an angel that was with them. There was a fourth that was with them in the fire. And when they came out, they said about Shabrat, Meshach, and Abednego that they did not even smell of smoke. How did that angel cause them to be insulated where the fire didn't touch them to the degree they didn't even smell of smoke? Okay, but Peter, he's walking out, chains fall off, the guards don't see him. They get to a gate that the Bible says just opened up on its own. Peter walks out, the angel disappears, and then Peter kind of comes to himself and realizing, hey, this isn't a vision, this is actually real. I'm standing here in the street. And so he goes home. Knocks on the door. But the church, listen to what I'm saying here. The angel was sent. Intercessors, please hear me. The angel was sent because of earnest prayer. 
This was not just ordinary, just hold your hand, say a little prayer. They were really crying out. When we really cry out in earnest prayer, God will send an angel to break through. And I'll say this too, many times, we don't see it with our natural eyes, but many times, the answered prayers, the angels are involved in those answered prayers. Many times. Angels are also sent because of faithfulness. There was a man named Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, 1 through 8. He was an Italian. He wasn't Jewish, and the gospel had not yet gone to the Gentiles. It was still among the Jews, and Peter was a man named Simon's house. But anyway, Cornelius was there praying, and all of a sudden, this angel appears to him and says, Cornelius, and he's probably scared. Yes, Lord. And the angel says, I want you to send for Peter. He's at a man named Simon's house. And he says, Cornelius, your prayers and your giving has gone up before God as a memorial offering. Send for Peter. And so when Peter came, Cornelius had gathered all of his family and friends together. And when Peter began to preach to them the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell so hard on that whole group that the others that were with Peter were shocked because they basically said this, this is just like the day of Pentecost. Why was the angel sent? He was sent because of Cornelius' faithfulness in his prayer and in his financial giving. I'm going to tell you guys something. God sees your tithes and offerings. He does. It means something to him. And when you guys give like this coming Passover Pentecost time and you're sowing into the glory like at that conference, it means something to God. Your gifts to the poor, when you give above your tithe in the river of life and designate benevolence and we give that out to the poor and it's feeding the poor, that means something to God. It goes up before him as a memorial offering. And I've read this story and I've thought to myself, I want to be like Cornelius, a man of prayer and a man of giving because I want to see revival in my entire family too. All right, and then the next one is this. Angels are sent because of intercession. This will be an encouraging story for some of you guys. So Abraham, God appeared to Abraham, and Abraham began to learn about how God was going to have to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Abraham begins to earnestly intercede for Sodom. We know the story, Lord, if you can just find 50 righteous, and he goes all the way down to 10. Lord, if you can just find 10 righteous, would you spare? And God was willing to spare an evil group of people because of Abraham's intercession. Just 10 righteous, Lord. Well, the sad thing is God couldn't find just 10 righteous in an entire city. So God sent his angels. But here's the thing I wanted to tell you. So these two angels show up in Sodom. And they're going to stay in the city square. And Lot was there. Now, Lot was among the, those that were at the gate. And if you know anything about that time, the, the men, the elders, the, those that sat at the gate um, were of somewhat prominence. They, they were the ones that people would come to in the city to as judges to, you know, settle their disputes or whatever. So apparently Lot had gotten a reputation there. He, but um, Lot was there, and he saw these two men that appeared as men to him that were going to go sleep in the square, and um, Lot knew how these people were. And he said, guys, 
don't sleep in the square, okay? I'm telling you, it's a bad idea. Just come to my house. We'll, we'll watch out for So they, they went to Lot's house, and they were eating together, and Lot probably didn't even really realize that here he is entertaining two angels. They seem like men to him. And the, and the people of the city began, they were so perverted and evil, they began to surround Lot's house because they were trying to beat down the door because they wanted Lot to let those two men come out so they can have sexual relations with them. That's how perverted those people were. They were going to rape them. And uh, Lot said, no, don't do this thing. And so the angel, they were going to attack Lot. And so the angel comes up, pulls Lot in, and sticks his hand out like this, and all of them go blind. And they start staggering, and they can't open the door. And so the angels tell Lot, I can just see, because again, they're not all lovey-dovey, and they're not mean. They're just on assignment. And so they're probably kind of grabbing Lot like this, going, get out of this city. Get your family, get all your stuff, pack it up, and get out of here, because this place is going to be destroyed tomorrow. And Lot said, okay. So he begins to get his family together, and they flee. And as they left, we know the story how Lot's wife looked. But the angel told them, don't look back. And she rebelled. And she was turned into like a pillar of salt. But anyway, they fled. Lot and his two daughters fled. And as they were fleeing and got outside the city, God rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah and fried it destroyed everything there. But here's the thing I want to say to you. Because of one man's intercession, that city was almost spared as wicked, as evil as it was. And number two, because of Abraham's prayers, God sent angels to make absolute sure that Lot and his family were removed before judgment came. Let me tell you something. Do not give up praying for your children and your grandchildren because if you have a walk with God, I'm telling you, God will send his angels and he will find them where they are. And they were in Sodom. God will find them where they are and he will deliver them out because of your prayers. And the next one is how angels are sent to fulfill prophecy. Luke 1, 1 through 25, and then 26 through 38. So Zechariah was a priest during this time, and it was his, his turn to go in and burn the incense in the holy place. He goes in, he's in there burning the incense, and he's praying, he's interceding as he's supposed to be doing. All of a sudden, this angel, it's Gabriel, this angel appears before him. He's scared as anybody would be, but the angel Gabriel said, listen, your wife is going to bear a son. You will name him John, and he is, he's going to be a Nazarite, which I don't have time to explain. He's not going to have any strong liquor. His hair is going to grow out. He's set apart unto God, and he will even be filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Now, here's where Zechariah messed up. I mean, he's got Gabriel the angel telling him this, and he says, well, how can this happen? Because... We're old and my wife's barren. <laughs> and so the angel, the angels, again, they're not all lovey-dovey. The angel said, look, he said, I'm Gabriel. I'm an angel standing in front of you telling you this. It's going to happen, but you're not going to be able to talk anymore until it does happen. 
And I'll tell you why God did that, because I'm going to get to this in a moment. I, I need to hurry, but our mouths can cause a lot of problems. And basically, if I could paraphrase this, Gabriel was probably, I'm paraphrasing, was saying, your mouth is going to work against this, Zechariah. So I'm going to shut your mouth for you. And so Zechariah couldn't talk until John was born. But anyway, this was important. Angels are sent to fulfill, help fulfill prophecy. This was an ancient prophecy by Isaiah that there would be one that would come as a voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. John was that man. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. So God himself sends an angel to tell John, your wife's about to get pregnant. He's going to be that. He's going to be the forerunner. He's going to be a Nazarite. He's going to be a prophet. He's going to be filled with the Spirit. And that's exactly what happened. Now, here's the other, the other part of the story. The angel Gabriel then goes and appears to Mary, who's a young woman, never been wed. She was a virgin. And the angel Gabriel appears to her and said, um, here's what's going to happen. He said, you're, you're going to give birth to a son. He's going to be the son of the Most High. And you're going to name his name in Hebrew, Yeshua. And she, she just simply asked a normal question. She wasn't questioning the angel. She just said, I don't understand. I'm a virgin. How am I going to have a baby? It's a legitimate question. So Gabriel said, I'll explain it to you. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and he's going to make you pregnant. And then you're going to have this child. He's going to be the son of God. And her mouth was in agreement. She said, then be it unto me according to your word. See, her mouth was in agreement with the word of God. Zacharias wasn't. So angels are sent to help fulfill prophecy. When it's the fullness of time for prophecy to be fulfilled, God will send his angels to help make sure that it happens. Also, angels are sent to turn impossible situations around. Hezekiah and Isaiah 36 through 37, that story is recounted in Kings and I believe Chronicles too. But anyway, Hezekiah, real quick, tell the story. So the 10 tribes of Israel, Samaria was their capital. The king of Assyria comes in and wipes them out, takes them captive. And now, a few years later, they're coming after little Judah and Benjamin, much smaller. They didn't stand a chance in the natural and Hezekiah knew that. He knew how they also would treat him and his family because when a king would take another king captive, many times they would either kill him or they would, you know, uh, put out their eyes or do something to torture him or whatever. And Hezekiah was legitimately scared. And so he goes to Isaiah the prophet and says, this is what the king of Assyria, they've surrounded us, they've besieged us, and they're making threats against us. And Hezekiah was basically saying, I've served the Lord righteously. Isaiah, what is going to happen? And Isaiah began to prophesy to him and said, don't worry. The Lord is going to send him back the way he came. Well, to make a long story short, in the night, God sent an angel. And that one angel walked through the camp of the enemy that was out there surrounding the entire nation and killed 185,000 military men dead in one night. Not two, one night. So the next morning, the king woke up to all these dead people. 
And so he packed up his bags and went back home, just like Isaiah said, the way he came. And so then Israel was able to go out and plunder all the spoils of war. Hezekiah was in an impossible situation. Honestly, the truth is they had no chance to win this battle. And Hezekiah knew it. He was desperate. He went to the prophet. Then he took the threatening letter to the temple and laid it out. And he was crying out to God in sackcloth and ashes. And God sent an angel to turn the thing around. Angels can cause things to go from famine to feast in 24 hours. Another story, 2 Kings 6, 24 through 7, 20. Israel had disobeyed God, so God withheld the rain, and it, the famine was going on for so long, it was so bad, that the Bible says that people were eating doves' dung, and that even some women were eating their own children. The Bible says that. That's how severe this famine was. And so here they are in this difficult situation, And Elisha the prophet stands up and says in the midst of it, he says, tomorrow barley is going to be sold for such and such, wheat for such and such. And I mean, he's prophesying abundance of food coming in. And one of the king's attendants was like, yeah, right. If windows of heaven were open, you know, he totally didn't believe. And so Elisha turns to him and says, you know what? Your eyes are going to see it, but you won't eat any of it. So here's what happened. That night, the enemy was around the city in great number. Israel had been in a deep famine. It was severe. But according to the word of the Lord through Elisha the prophet, God sent his angels in the way of horses and chariots. And the enemy heard all these horsemen and chariots in the night. And so they began to, they said to themselves, Israel has called in help from Egypt and other places. And they fled. They fled so fast that they left all of their goods behind and all their food. And so the next morning, these four lepers were there amongst themselves and they said, guys, here's the thing. We're going to die anyway. We're either going to die from leprosy or we're going to die because we're starved to death. Why don't we just go to the Assyrians? I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll spare us, and then we'll live. If not, they'll kill us. But either way, we're going to die, so let's just go for it. So they really did have this conversation. So they get up, four lepers, and they go wandering off into the Assyrian camp. And they noticed as they're going, it was strangely quiet. And they realized there's supposed to be all these hundreds of thousands of people, and where is everybody? And so they start going into this guy's tent, And they're pulling out all kinds of expensive things, nice clothes and other goods. And they're they're seeing all this food everywhere. And so they're hungry. And they begin to eat and they're hoarding all this stuff. And and so they said unto themselves, they said, well, if we we don't tell anybody about this, surely God's going to let something bad befall us, okay? So they said, we need to go tell the king about this. And so they go and report it. So sure enough, the next day, or that day, I'm sorry, that day. The king heard about it. He sent his men out there, and they gathered all the plunder. And there was so much food brought in that according to the word of the prophet Elisha, they were selling barley for such and such price, this for such and such price. So literally, God caused Israel to go from such a severe famine, they're eating bird poop, okay, 
to feasting in a 24-hour period. What turned it around? God sent his horses and chariots of angels. Angels sent to give victory in war. Joshua enters Canaan, crosses the Jordan. And Joshua had to circumcise the men because they didn't do it in the wilderness like they should have, the young men. Then they celebrated Passover. And then, after Passover, this angel of the Lord appears before Joshua with a sword. And Joshua's looking at this, and he says, are you for us? or Because he thinks it's a man. Are you for us or for our enemies? And the angel of the Lord said, neither. He said, I'm the captain of the armies of God, and I'm here to do his bidding. And so Joshua bowed down before him. Listen, God sent an angel to make sure that those walls of Jericho were going to come down before him. You understand that? And so we know the story. God spoke to Joshua to march around for seven days and seven times on the last day. They blasted the shofar, shouted, the walls came down. But what you don't know is there that angel caused all those walls to come down, you see, supernaturally. There was a true story. Some of you might remember this these days back in the 60s when Israel took, um, in the Six-Day War, took Jerusalem. But there was a man back then that was the military leader of Israel's army. His name was Moshe Dayan. And he was the guy, some of you have probably seen him, he was that guy that had a patch in one eye. And this, this was told by him, and it was actually in the secular news. It was in the newspaper. And Moshe Dayan, whenever the enemy was attacking during the Six-Day War, they had eventually kind of went out of the Jerusalem area and some of his men were saying, Jerusalem is open. Let's go. And they kept urging him, we need to move now. What are we waiting on? Moshe Dayan, who grew up a Jew, knew the Bible, but heard it his whole life. He told his men, and this was recounted by him and told in the news, he told his men, he said, I see the angel of the Lord right there. And he's holding his sword like this. And he said, I'm not moving until his sword comes down. And the sword came down and they went in and they took Jerusalem. To this day, they've held Jerusalem. God sent his angel. God will send his angel to give victory in war, just like Joshua saw in Jericho. The angel can be sent to break through in the most stubborn situations. Daniel began to pray and fast for 21 days. Remember that? And on the last day, Gabriel shows up. And Gabriel told Daniel, he said, listen, on the first day that you set yourself to pray, uh, your prayers were heard and I was sent. But I was being resisted in the heavens by the prince of Persia. I was being hindered by the enemy until God sent Michael to help me out and release me so that I could come to you. Angels, like Michael sent, angels can break through the most stubborn, difficult situations of warfare. Angels are sent to enforce God's blessings. When it, when it was time for Abraham, to, for his son to marry 
And for that generational blessing to go down the bloodline, it was very important that Isaac married the right person. And so God, or Abraham told Eleazar, I want you to go back to my homeland and find my son a wife. And Eleazar said, well, how am I supposed to know who this is? And Abraham said, don't worry about it. My God will send his angel before you. And he did. And it was, it was pretty miraculous how everything happened because Eliezer was saying, Lord, please let the one that comes out and waters the animals, and it was Rebecca. All right. The angel was sent to strengthen Elijah. Elijah came under severe spiritual warfare from a Jezebel spirit, witchcraft, to the degree the great prophet Elijah was basically in a depression. And he went and he was laying under a tree and he just wanted to die. And the angel of the Lord, again, they're not all lovey-dovey. They just kinda, he just kind of kicks Elijah, hey, get up, get up. You need to eat, you need to drink. And there was before him a fire that this angel made. And there was food that the angel had cooked. There was water there. And Elijah ate. And the Bible says that after he ate that angel food, that he had strength from that one meal to go for 40 days in the desert until he got to where he was going. So angels are sent to strengthen God's people. Angels can also give warnings and direction. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. How many do you remember the story when Jesus was a baby and, and the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, take the son, go to Egypt. They're seeking his life. In the last two stories, angels, there are more for us than against us. Do you remember the story when Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, saw this army out there, a great number of army, horsemen and chariots surrounding, and he was scared, rightfully so, but Elisha was standing there calm, and Elisha prayed for him and said, Lord, open his eyes to be able to see, and Gehazi's eyes were open where he could see in the spirit realm, and all around were horsemen and chariots of fire, and Elisha prayed, and the army that was against him was struck with blindness, and Elisha led that entire army right to the king. So anyway, there are more for us than against us. I just heard a guy talking about angels, and he was saying this. He was saying through research, this Bible scholar had determined there was probably like a trillion angels that God has. I mean, so many that if every single person on planet Earth had 20,000 angels each, it still wouldn't be all of God's angels. That's how many angels God has. And finally, the last story, angels are sent to take you into your destiny. When Moses was bringing Israel out, there was an angel. God told him in Exodus 23, 20 through 21, God told him, said, behold, I am going to send my angel in front of you. He will guard you along the way and bring you into the place I've promised you, the promised land. Be attentive to that angel and obey his voice. Do not be rebellious toward him. Remember Lot's wife rebelled against the word of the angel, turned us all. God said, don't rebel because he will not forgive you if you do. My name is in him. And we know the story. The angel went before Israel. Israel had all kinds of miracles that angel made sure that they were protected. They had victory over enemies. They had water when they needed it. They had manna when they needed it. They had quail. 
Everything was taken care of to the degree even their clothes didn't wear out. The angel took good care of Israel along its journey. And that angel was sent to make sure that they got into the promised land. But the problem was that Israel sinned against the Lord and they didn't believe. So here's how I want to close this out tonight. I want to talk about our tongue and then we're going to pray. The enemy targets our minds and our emotions to affect our mouths. Please hear what I'm going to say, River of Life. This is so important. The enemy will oppress you mentally and oppress your emotions to try to get you worked up to where you'll say things out of your mouth that will get you into trouble. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, verse 20, with the fruit of a person's mouth, his stomach will be satisfied. He will be satisfied with the product of his lips. For death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You got to be careful. God has set before us life and blessing, but we got to be careful what we say. Because what we say, if we're in disagreement with what the Lord is saying, we actually can hinder what God wants to do. And many times people get that way and don't mean to. So let me read a few more scriptures and explain something. Now I'm going to close. Proverbs 21, 23. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from trouble. Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupt talk come out of our mouths, but only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. James 1, 26. As if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Titus 3.2, speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling, fighting. Be gentle and show perfect courtesy toward all people. So let me just give you a few quick things. Our mouths can cause problems. I believe that is really why the angel Gabriel shut the mouth of Zechariah. Yes, it was a slap on the hand. It was, it was a rebuke. It, there was a discipline in it. But God could have disciplined Zechariah in different ways. The reason why his mouth was shut was because basically Gabriel was saying, your mouth is going to work against what God's wanting to do. So I'm going to shut it for you so you don't hinder things. So here's eight or nine different ways we can hinder the purposes of God in our lives. Number one is grumbling and complaining and being negative. 1 Corinthians 10, I talked about it last week. When we grumble and complain and we're negative, our mouths are actually grumbling against the Lord because we're complaining about the way he's running our lives. Where we should be thankful. How many knows that there's people, you got a roof over your head tonight. How many of you guys have a place to sleep tonight? You're not gonna sleep under a bridge. Anybody that's gonna sleep under a bridge tonight? How many of you guys actually had something to eat today? Okay, I could go on and on, but we have so much to be thankful for. Yet many times we get this bad spirit and we begin to grumble and complain because it's something that we don't have that we want. We want things to be different. But let me tell you something. Grumbling and complaining is the very thing that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 released the destroyer against God's people. And the destroyer there can be translated death. 
That's why Israel did not enter the promised land, and that's why so many of them died in the wilderness, because they kept grumbling and complaining. The second thing we better be careful about is our oaths and vows and promises to God or to man. In 2 Samuel 21, David was wondering, why do we have a famine? And the word of the Lord came because he's, God said, Saul before you had killed the Gibeonites. But see, there was a covenant that was made between the previous you know, leaders of Israel way back with Joshua between the Gibeonites. Saul didn't honor that. Saul came in and slaughtered them and broke the covenant. And so God released a famine until David dealt with it appropriately. David had to get forgiveness for that, for the nation. And then God sent the rain. Let me tell you, we better be very careful about the promises, the the oaths that we take, the vows that we make to God. Lord, I promise if you do this, I'll do this. It's better to just never do that. But if you're, there is a, there is a scripture, there is scriptures about it. There is something about a vow that is powerful and does seem to be connected to answer prayers, but it's better to not make a vow in the first place. But if for some reason you feel that you need to do it, you better make sure and fulfill your vow. Because if you tell God, if you do this, I'll do it, and then he does it, and then you don't do it, then you're now in sin. And let me tell you something, God holds us accountable for the promises, the oaths, the vows that we make to him and that we make to people. And that's why I tell you, when you get married and you take marriage vows, God takes those vows very serious. Number three, careless words. How many times have we gotten in a bad mood and said something out of anger or hurt and hurt other people? We need to be careful. The Bible says in Matthew 12, 36, that we will give an account for every careless word. That's a scary thought. On judgment day, that every idle, every careless word we've spoken will be brought up. I believe unless we get it washed away in the blood of Jesus and really repent, then I believe it probably won't be brought up. But if if you don't get it washed away in the blood and you don't repent, it will be brought up. But God wants us to change, doesn't he? Another thing, and this is very serious, is gossip. A gossip will go around telling information about another person. Did you know that this person did this and that? Can you believe that? And they'll sit there and go about telling other people's business. A gossiper. And the Bible warns about that. Number five, a slanderer. A slanderer is somebody that smears another person's character. They'll go and they'll, they'll present things a certain way to give you a bad outlook on them, to smear them. Number six, speaking evil of dignitaries. God has placed authority figures in place. He's placed a husband over the family. He's placed uh, pastors and leaders over churches. He's placed governors, etc., over cities and regions and leaders over nations. And even though some of them may be wicked, they still are permitted for a reason. And God has these realms, these spheres of authority, and we're not supposed to be slandering authority. Let me tell you something, too. It's not really in here, but did you know in 1 Peter 3, I don't have it in my notes, rather, that it warns that if you are not um, treating your spouse rightly, if you're mean to your spouse, that it can hinder your prayers. That's a scary thought. 
Number seven, self-imposed curses spoken over ourselves. Derek Prince talked about this. Be careful what you speak over yourself. I believe a lot of times sicknesses come because people say things. Every year around this time, I get this. Every time the weather does this, I get this. And they speak all this stuff over themselves, and sure enough, the fruit of their mouth, that's exactly what they have. And until they break that off themselves, they're liable to have it from now on. So be careful what you speak over yourself. Don't call yourself stupid. Don't call yourself an idiot. Don't speak things over your health. Be careful what you say. Don't say things negative about your finances. How many knows that we want God's blessing? The angels are trying to help us. The angels want to enforce our covenant promises, the the blessings that are rightfully ours. They want to do that. But if we're sitting here grumbling, if we're sitting here gossiping, if we're speaking curses over ourselves, if we're being negative with our mouths, it literally hinders what the angels want to do. Negative, destructive words over other people. Be careful what you're speaking over others. And I know you know this river of life, but People can speak over you like a curse, negative things, especially if it's authority figures. They can. You need to break those words off your life, okay? And finally, the broken oaths of ancestors. Has your family had broken promises, broken vows and stuff in ancestry? Um, I've seen, and this is pretty common now, but, you know, there'll be a divorce in the ancestry, and then it seems like it tries to really... uh, break out in the family and just widespread divorce breaks loose in the family. So just be careful because oaths, promises, things in families, if it's broken, sometimes can release something in subsequent generations. So these are areas we need to be careful to repent of our grumbling, breaking our promises, careless words that hurt others, gossiping, slandering, speaking evil of authority figures speaking curses over ourselves, speaking negative words over others, or breaking or broken vows and answers. We need to be careful with these, with these things and ask God's forgiveness. How many knows if we will confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us for our sin and cleanse us all in righteousness. But we've got to do that and then repent of it. It doesn't do any good to say, God, I'm sorry, and then go right out the door, go home, call somebody and gossip. Or go right home and treat your spouse like garbage. It doesn't, you know what I'm saying? This doesn't do any good to just say, God, I'm sorry, and they go back to, God's looking for us to really repent here, that we're different. So now let me flip it on the positive side. See, our mouths, I don't have time to teach on all this, but just reading through it, 1 Peter 3, 9, we need to have God's word and blessings in our mouth. Uh, Peter said, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. How many knows whenever people are evil towards you, Your flesh wants to repay evil for evil. Your flesh wants to repay insult for insult, you know. He said, rather, don't do that, but if you'll bless them instead because you were called for this very purpose that you'll inherit a blessing. Did you know that you can literally turn things around? I don't know that we fully, any of us really fully understand how powerful some of the things I'm about to say. When we come together, River of Life, just the fact that we come together corporately, There is a corporate anointing. Are y'all hearing me? Look this way and hear what I'm saying. When we come together, 
when we unify and we take communion together. I don't think any of us really understand how powerful it is that the the things that represent Christ's body and blood, that we're taking that covenant, blood covenant meal, okay? It represents his body and blood. It represents the blood covenant that was cut at Calvary for us. And we take those elements and we're eating that and it's going into us. I don't think any of us really understand how awesome, powerful that really is. Because that's in you. When you leave out of here, communion's in your body. And not only that, but all the promises that are associated with many people are consecrated. Many people are healed and delivered of things, taking communion. I've seen it. I've seen people that have been healed, and I've seen people that were delivered at the communion table. Why? Because they were reverencing the body and blood of the Lord and what Jesus paid for them to have. I don't know if any of us really understand how powerful it is whenever um, the leaders anoint with oil and pray for you. The Bible gives promises because priests were consecrated by anointing with oil. The Bible says, I tell you what, if the elders will anoint people with oil, then I'll even heal them if they're sick. I wonder if any of us really realize how powerful that is. In water immersion, all these things I could talk about. But let me tell you something, though. The power of speaking blessings. When a pastor gets up here and speaks a blessing, or I get an elder to come up, Derek Prince said this and always stuck with me. He said, one of the most powerful things that can ever happen to you in your life outside of accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior is that a father would bless you. Biblically, that is one of the most powerful things that can happen to you. And some will say, well, I didn't know that. And I didn't, I didn't know that um, my father's gone or whatever. Okay, somebody can stand in proxy. See, when my father stands up here and stands in proxy and speaks a blessing as a father, I'll be the same thing. Let me tell you, though, those blessings will literally turn things around. I know many of you know this story. I'll tell it real quick, but this happened to a pastor, and um, he was praying one time at church, and up on the platform, they had built some areas for certain musicians, and they didn't have any. They never did, and he was up there frustrated. You know, sometimes we're, we call it praying, but we're just complaining, and he was up there praying, but he was really complaining. Lord, there's nobody up here. There never has been anybody. We built this thing. We spent money on this. There's nobody up here in this pit. I don't understand. And God rebuked him. He said that it was, it was loud, and God told him this, said, well, quit cursing it. <laughs> he said that he was, in a, he was in mid-stride going for it, just complaining. And all of a sudden, when God told him that, it just stopped on a dime, and he said that it embarrassed him, and so he just went home. And quit praying. And so he said he got home and he began to look into the word and he realized that's exactly what he was doing. He was speaking negative and he kept having negative. And so God told him, taught him rather to start blessing it. And so he goes in now and he got up there and lifted his hands and he began to speak a blessing over. He said, I bless this area that you're going to be filled with musicians, that people are going to want to be in you, and that there's going to be plenty of people in you, and we're going to have a bless. And he just began to bless and bless and bless. And you know what? God started sending people in there. Let me tell you something. Blessings will turn things around. You know, we talk about generational curses, and that's real. Then we need to break those curses, and we need to replace them with blessings. And blessings will turn it around. So here's some things that are so powerful. 
And we're going to do this when we close. But number one is taking communion and speaking God's covenant promises out of our mouths. Remember, if you take a Bible and just put it there, nothing, nothing's happening. But when you put the word of God in your mouth, then it becomes powerful. Why? Because it's vocalized. See, the Bible gives us a premise. If we will believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths unto salvation. Does this make sense now that I've kind of explained the fullness of salvation save, heal, deliver, protect, preserve, all of that. We believe in our hearts. We speak with our mouths unto salvation, and we can escape because the angels are sent to enforce our covenant promises. When we're in dire situation, God will make a way of escape and deliverance because he will send his angels to enforce his blessings. So here's a, here's a couple things. Take communion and speak God's promises, his word out loud over you and your family. Christ became a curse for us, so the blessings given to Abraham begin to speak out loud as you take communion, the covenant promises that go back to Abraham. Me and my family are the head, not the tail, the top and not the bottom, etc., etc. You're speaking the word, you're speaking promises, you're speaking the blessings. Number three, blessings spoken over you, or you can even bless yourself, but the power of blessings to turn things around. Listen, I'm telling you, speaking blessings is so powerful. I remember one time, I was, um, I, there's so many stories I could tell. I'm just going to pick this one. I remember one time I was just speaking a blessing, and I was going through a church, before church service, and for whatever reason, I remember saying something, excuse me, something like this. I said, Lord, I just speak a blessing that even as the worship team is worshiping, that people are going to be hit by the power of God. I just bless, and I was just speaking blessings, and it just came out. I don't know why. But anyway, we were up there that night, and I'll never forget this because I, I said that, and then I saw it. We were up here leading worship one night, and there was a young lady that was there just worshiping God, you know, and all of a sudden she shook and got thrown on the ground. <laughs> just during worship, she was hit by the power of God. So blessings are powerful. And I'll tell you another one real quick. So I remember back when we started everything at my house, I would walk through my house and speak blessings over the house, speak blessings over the services. And I remember saying things like this. You don't even really know what you're saying or think about sometimes the, how, the magnitude of it. But I remember speaking out things like this, Lord, I just bless that from this place, the gospel is going to go to the nations of the earth. Somehow, I bless it in Jesus' name. And did you know, years later, the 700 Club contacted us because they wanted to do my wife's testimony. They come into the very living room. I spoke those blessings in that living room. They set up their cameras, and they interview my wife, and the gospel went to the nations from there. It didn't just go to America. I was contacted from somebody in Finland that said, you're not going to believe it, but your wife's testimony on the 700 Club just came through Scandinavian TV. Sometimes we don't even really realize the power. You understand what I'm saying? The power of blessings. That the very place... I just simply spoke that blessing, not really thinking about the magnitude, but yet God enforced that blessing and took the gospel from that very spot to the nations. So you, that's why. 
I'm trying to strengthen your faith in that river of life. That's why I teach on blessings, and that's why we bless. When I get up here and speak a blessing over you, I realize how powerful that really is. Some of you have probably never had anybody else in your life, no parents, no other church or whatever, really speak a blessing. I'm not talking about praying for you. That's powerful. And I'm not talking about prophesying over you. That's also powerful. But I'm talking about the realm of me speaking life and blessings over you and having my father come up as an elder and do it. That is awesome, powerful, and it will bring change. All right, and then the last couple ones, prophetic words that need to be fulfilled. If you've had, hear what I'm saying. Please don't let me lose you. If you how many of you guys have had God give you a prophetic word either directly to you or it came through somebody and you knew for sure that was the Lord. And I, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking about the prophecy about your family. That, that's God. That's going to happen. So there's promises, there's prophetic promises that God has given us that we haven't seen them yet. But let me tell you something. When you're in prayer, if God has given a true prophetic word, how many knows that that's the word of God? You know, we have the scriptures, we have the Bible, we know that, I mean, from Genesis 1-1 all the way through, the we know that's the word of God. But if God has given a true word, that's also the word of God. And the Bible says the angels hearken to the word. So what we need to be doing is we need to be saying out loud, Lord, you promised me that this would happen. I believe it, and I thank you, Lord, that your angels are going, and they're going to make these things happen because it is what you said, and you're going to do it. They hearken to the word of the Lord. I imagine that, honestly, I imagine with many, many Christians out there, they're assigned angels just to take care of them, but they're probably bored half to death. Not only that, they probably never have anything to do. And the, and the Christians themselves might be of the type that are always speaking so negative and cursing themselves and cursing their finances and cursing their families and speaking negative and the opposite of what God wants. Over and over and over, the angels are sitting there going, I can't do anything for you. Until you stop cursing. You understand all those negative words are stopping the angels, but you know what they're doing? They're empowering the demons. The demonic realm says, okay. They said it. Now we can ride in on those words and we can start trying to make that happen. Yes, they can. That's legal permission. We got to be careful what we say. That's self-imposed curses right there. It always grieves me when I've seen parents speak over their kids. You're such an idiot. You'll never amount to anything. You know what right there? They're cursing them. And you know what else? Demons are going to try to make that happen. If, you, if that's happened to you tonight, let me know, because I'm going to break that off you. Now, how many knows that God has not called us to live a cursed life? He's called us to live blessed and overcomers. And that's why, that's why I say this again. That's why I have my dad come up and speak that Father's blessing, because so many people have never been blessed like that. But God, uh, you hear me. It may not happen tomorrow, but God's going to make those blessings manifest in your life one day. He will. And also prayers that need to be answered. Don't be discouraged about family members and all that. Remember Abraham and Lot. Abraham prayed. God sent his angels. Listen, you may think about your kids and grandkids. My Lord, they're basically in Sodom. 
but God still delivered Lot out of Sodom, one of the most evil places that we know about in the Scriptures. God sent his angels in there and got them out. God will hear your prayers for your family. And Lot wasn't even his son. He was a relative. You see what I'm saying? God will find, as you pray for people, God will find them and send his angels and deliver them. So areas where you need your covenant blessings enforced, you need promises God's made you to happen, you need prayers to be answered, and you know you're praying the will of God, you know that God made those prophetic promises, and you know what the Word says about the blessings, that this should be happening. As we cry out to God about these things with faith, and we're speaking out loud the Word of God, listen, God will hear us, and He will eventually send His angel and bring deliverance if we don't give up. But the Bible says, don't grow weary in well-doing because in due season you will reap. But many people get right at the point of a breakthrough and the resistance is so bad, they throw up their hands and give up. Don't do that. Also, two more, praying in tongues. I don't think any of us really realize how awesome, awesome, powerful praying in tongues is. Probably one of the most important gifts that God has given us is the ability by the Holy Ghost that the Holy Spirit will pray through us in tongues because we don't know how to pray. How many of us have all felt this way? We've prayed and we've prayed and then we thought to ourselves, I don't know what else to pray. And so that's when we say, Lord, help us. Pray through me in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit begins to pray through you in tongues. The Holy, how many knows the Holy Spirit knows exactly what to pray? He knows things going on you don't know. He sees the spiritual warfare. He sees all the different dynamics and variables that need to change. And you say, you don't even know the half of it. But the Holy Spirit knows everything. And he's going to begin to pray through you in such a way that over time, if you'll keep praying, he will dismantle structures that are against you. He will pull down strongholds. He will begin to clear away things the enemy's been doing. He will begin to move on the heart of the people, and he will begin to pray God's purposes for the angels to go in and clean house. And faith declarations. I've always believed in faith declarations. Faith declarations are basically that you're speaking this is what you said, Lord. If we do this, you will do this. And this is, I'll give you an example of this. You don't even have to hear directly from God. The Bible says in Malachi that, for example, I'm just picking one. If you tithe, God said, test me in this. I will rebuke the devourer. I will open the heavens and pour out more blessings than there's room enough to contain. God said it. He said, test me in it. So you don't even have to hear from God any specific thing about that. If you're a tither and you start going through financial problems, you need to start speaking faith declarations. You need to start saying, Lord, now you promised me I'm a tither. You promised me that you would rebuke the devourer and something's trying to devour. And you'd open the heavens and pour out more blessings and there's room enough to contain. I should be doing well. So Lord, I thank you that you're faithful to your word and you're going to perform it and you're going to send your angels to drive away the enemy. That's faith declarations. And so let me just close with these two scriptures. Exodus 23, 20. Behold, I'm going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and bring you into the place I prepared. Be attentive to him and obey him. Do not be rebellious toward him, 
He will not forgive you. You see, angels aren't like people. I've said this a lot, but they're not all lovey-dovey like some people, like this romantic notion, people think, oh, they're so sweet and all that. They might be, I don't know, but all I know is that they're on assignment. And you better be on God's side. <laughs> Do you remember when the angel told Joshua? Joshua said, are you for us or for our enemies? The angel said, neither one. Think about that for a minute. I'm not here, for, the angel was saying, I'm not here for you, Joshua. And I'm not here for these heathen. I'm here as the captain of the Lord. I'm here to do what God said. And God said those walls are going to come down. And so when you obey God and march around it, I'm going to go knock the walls down. I'm not really here for you, and I'm not here for them. I'm here to do what God said. I'm going to fulfill God's word, and I'm going to do exactly what God tells me to. See, that's the angels. They're there to do what God, and you better be on their side. See, Joshua was aligning on the side of God. So God was with him. The angel was with him to take down the walls. But how many knows the city of Jericho was against the Lord? So the angel was working against them. So the angels aren't really there as your little buddy. They're there to serve God Almighty. And as long as you're serving the Lord, they're going to be helping you out. But if you ever start going against the Lord, they're going to be working against you. In Micah 2.13, the breaker, I love this scripture, the breaker, the Messiah, will go up before them and break through, pass through the gate and go out through it. The king will pass on before them, the Lord at their head. See, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession. So the way that the Lord many times will cause things to break open for you will be by sending his angels. You don't really see them. You might sense them. I've had a lot of different things through the years where I, I have seen angels a couple times, and I've, I've encountered things. I've, I've experienced things. I don't talk about a lot because I don't want people thinking too much about that. I want people thinking about Jesus, focused on the Lord, okay? But I want people to understand the dynamics here of warfare. See, the enemy is going to set things up against you. But if your mouth will speak the word of God and speak faith, the angels will be active in your favor. But if you're cursing yourself and you're speaking doubt or you start grumbling against God and getting all upset at God and speaking negative about things or speaking negative about him, the angels, they're not going to be doing anything for you. And if you keep cursing yourself and demons start coming against you, the angel has no choice but to basically step aside because you spoke it over yourself. You invited that. Speak faith. Speak the word of God. And so I felt tonight we needed to make sure and pray about some stuff and clear some things with our mouths. And um, we're going to do that. So go ahead and I'm going to pray. Let's close this recording. Lord, I thank you tonight. I thank you for your word. I thank you for hearing and answering these prayers over this. Let it go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Was everything closed down?